Nyquist with it. Sharks with numbers. Here comes Meyer down the right side. Kilo Meyer with a shot. That did not make it through. Now Nyquist drops it off. Score! Eric Carlson wins it for the Sharks. In overtime, they lead the series two games to one. I think the Blues are arguing that this was a hand pass. Ladies and gentlemen, hello and welcome to another edition of America's Best Worst Canadian Sports Podcast. That's right, Real Good Show is back at it again for another episode. It is number 180, the big 180. And, uh, oh boy, my name is Justin Morissette. What a time to be alive. What a time to be a sports fan. It is the best time of the year, and not just because the Toronto Raptors are in the NBA Finals as I record this up two to one in a series where they could easily be up three nothing if they had only showed up for even five minutes of that third quarter in game two. But look, I don't want to devote uh, too much time to the Raps this week. I I don't want to really talk about that series or the uh, you know Stanley Cup Final either until. They are decided because it is hard to uh, do the kind of in-depth podcast interviews that I like to do about things that are still happening in progress. That's the kind of thing that is uh, more apt for radio, the sort of thing that is almost instantly dated uh, as soon as you're done recording it. Uh, but no, this is this is a wonderful time of the year. Uh, we're you know coming up fast on the draft. The draft is uh, just about two weeks away now. And... Um, you know, the, the, we're about to crown champions in uh, the NBA and the NHL. Look, this cup final has not been great, um, not just because the Boston Bruins are in it necessarily either. Uh, that certainly doesn't help things. That doesn't drive interest uh, for someone like me. But um, I don't know. There's just not really a compelling pairing here, and it's kind of antiquated hockey. These are not teams that play the style necessarily that – you want to see emulated going forward um, because this is, look, the NHL always. GMs look at what wins, they look at what gets to the final, and they try to alter their configuration, change their blueprint, as it were, to match whatever is successful. Whatever worked for the teams that got to the final must be what I have to do. If it worked for them, it has to work for me. And it would have been... Better, I think, for the construction of rosters league-wide if we were, you know, say looking at the Calgary-Tampa final that I expected coming into the playoffs. Not to say that these playoffs have been bad or or disappointing to see all the favorites knocked out. It's certainly been interesting, but ultimately we're left with two teams that I don't think the um, general viewing audiences of the NHL really care too much about at this point, and... Yeah, man, even if even if we'd just gone the opposite way in the conference finals and we're looking at San Jose versus Carolina, that would have been preferable. That would have been something, right? That would have been two teams basically built on skill going head-to-head and two teams that you wouldn't expect to get there either. Not that you would expect either. I guess the Bruins you would expect to be there, certainly not the St. Louis Blues. Regardless, this is an exciting time because – this is when trade talks start to heat up again. This is when uh, uh, the possibilities, the endless possibilities of the draft uh, kick into high gear. I was on the uh, radio with Dick Nazar this past Saturday. We, we called it quantum hockey because there are 
14,605,000 possible outcomes between now and July 1st, not just for the Canucks, but literally every team in the league. The, anything could happen right now. And the, it's, it's, it's that time of year where you get to kick around all of these endless possibilities about what moves teams might make before the draft, what players teams might take at the draft. This is the time of year where it is fun to be a fan, but uh, it is not fun to be a podcaster and try to, uh, like I said, cover what's going on in these championship series. We'll get back into the wraps, of course, uh, no matter what happens in this series. Uh, once it wraps up, whether whether that ends with a Toronto championship, which would be fantastic to see, or whether Golden State does it again, we will talk about that a little later down the line, but... Um, you know, if you can't talk about the ongoing series and what's happening in the championship games right now, you certainly can talk about what is going on with the teams that are no longer in it, the teams that have been bounced. And I plan to do that over the next couple weeks here as we head into the draft. And it begins today with a conversation based almost entirely around the San Jose Sharks. The Sharks, you know, became that media darling. I know there were plenty of people who hated to see their success because it was powered largely by uh, fortuitous calls or lack thereof from the officials over the course of this playoff run. But look, that balances out in the long run, you would think. Clearly, San Jose benefited enormously uh, from officiating over the course of their playoff run. But a very fun team to watch. And Eric Carlson, man, you know, uh, I I was not really a proponent of the Canucks going after this guy in free agency this year. But the more you watch him and the more you think about the fact that, okay, is his fragility an issue that you should consider before you throw the kind of contract that he's going to command on the uh, UFA waters uh, his way? Yes, absolutely. That is something that you should consider for sure. But... Should you also consider the fact that this is now a guy who two out of the last three years has powered a team to the conference finals playing on one leg or with a bum groin or whatever the injury happened to be, what he has done is incredible. Incredible. What he is able to do, especially, look, what has been killing the Canucks over the last several years. Their power play, a little bit better this year, got decent towards the end of last year. But still, special teams, hugely problematic in Vancouver. Special teams, a big reason why the Canucks have not sniffed the postseason over the last several years now. Can Eric Carlson fix that single-handedly? Yes, he can! Absolutely! Uh, he is that rare player, that one guy who can basically turn things around in a hurry. The, the only, one of the only guys out there who presents a legitimate quick fix option out there on the UFA market. And if Vancouver wants to go after him, you know, it for me, it's either him or Panarin. Swing for the big fish, and if you don't get either, just cut the lines, cut bait, get out of there. Do not wade into those waters and drop God knows how much money on middle-tier free agents, whether it's Wayne Simmons or Michael Furland or whoever, you know, get get out of there. But what a treat to watch the San Jose Sharks run in the postseason this year. Eric Carlson, a hell of a story. Joe Thornton, a hell of a story as well. 
And we're going to get into it right here on Real Good Show this week. Uh, C. Morley, the managing editor of Fear the Fin on the SB Nation blog network. Uh, they run that site, do a hell of a job, and, and uh, you know, had a great time talking to them about just everything going on in San Jose. Not just, uh, you know, whether or not Carlson's going to come back, whether or not Joe Thornton is going to come back, but how that team has been able to sustain its success over multiple decades at this point. They have been a tremendous team right there in the mix, right there in the hunt, in the championship conversation now, year over year, for the better part, maybe, yeah, two decades at this point. And that is insane. That is as close as we can get in terms of a modern equivalence to the kind of dominance that the Detroit Red Wings put up in the mid to late 90s into the 2000s. Granted, Detroit won a bunch of championships, certainly, and that made them uh, an enviable team with a, a model that you know people looked at, and you know, the Detroit model, the way you got to do it, what Ken Holland always did. We'll see if Ken Holland is able to replicate those exact uh, specifications and uh, scenarios in a situation in Edmonton now where he does not have you know, $100 million or uh, $60 million more available to him to spend than uh, most teams out there bidding for the services of players. Those teams in the late 90s in particular were largely built through unrestricted free agency. Granted, tremendous drafting as well over time. Don't take that away from him, but the, the conditions do not exist any longer to build a team the way the Red Wings used to. The conditions do exist to run your ship the way Doug Wilson and the San Jose Sharks do today. And it is a model that should be looked at by pretty much every team in the league because as much as GMs want to make that big splash, and I talk about that with C coming up, the reason that the Sharks are able to do all these things is because they have built their team and built up their assets, built up their prospect pool the right way way. It takes patience. It takes years of drafting and developing to build up the kind of asset pool necessary to make those impulsive big splash moves. You can afford to do those sorts of things when you have spent the time to do things the right way. And look, maybe the conditions are perfect in a market like San Jose where a guy like Doug Wilson, when he came into his job, maybe didn't necessarily face the kind of pressures that exist in a Canadian market where success determines whether or not you're going to stick around. And you have to feel like, if I don't do this the right way, I'm not going to have a job. And so you act out of your own self-interest. Maybe that is the case. Maybe the fact that there is not a, a big, bright media spotlight shining down on you every step of the way allows you to do the things that way. But um, maybe not also. Maybe there is actual room to do things the right way in a Canadian market. I think uh, Kyle Dubas and the Toronto Maple Leafs at the moment certainly arguing, and really the way the Leafs have run their, their organization since Shanahan came in largely, not that they've been a perfect team or haven't made any mistakes, but uh, you know certainly, certainly have shown a little bit more patience than the Leafs used to, than more Canadian teams are able to as well. 
And that's got to be the way to do it. You have to look at the way the Sharks have run their ship and, and be excited by that and try to emulate what has made them successful. Have they won a cup? No. Have they been in a conversation to do so over multiple decades? Yes. And ultimately, that was the Ken Holland philosophy, was that if I give my team enough opportunities to continue to knock at the door year after year, eventually they will, as the doors say, break on through to the other side. It hasn't happened for San Jose yet. Maybe it never will. But they certainly have put themselves in a good position where it just might. And uh, without further ado, my conversation with C. Morley from Fear the Fin on this week's Real Good Show. My guest this week is the managing editor of Fear the Fin, the San Jose Sharks blog on the SB Nation network. C. Morley, uh, welcome to Real Good Show. Thank you so much for doing this. Yeah, thanks for having me. Uh, There is so much to talk about with you because I know you are not only uh, someone who, you know, breathlessly covers everything San Jose Sharks, but uh, you have been uh, in the past, and I'm not sure how much you still keep up with it, but someone who covers the Kalamazoo Wings of the ECHL as well, the Canucks ECHL affiliate. Um, How much ECHL are you still keeping up with? Uh, I kept up with their season. I had some health issues this year, so I didn't actually cover them the way that I had been because I was credentialed with them for a year. And I got the credentials again and got sick for most of the season. So I ended up not doing it this year, but I did pay attention to their season. And they got knocked out in the second round of playoffs by the Cincinnati Cyclones, who they'll be opening their season against in the fall. Um, Pretty good season considering only like five players from last year were left. So a lot of changeover, uh, I know, with the the Comets as well. So, um, yeah, just an unexpectedly good season with them this year. It's such a unique beat because you very rarely hear anything about the ECHL. I don't know if that's just because the Canucks as an organization do not have the sort of prospect depth where they are sending draft picks down to a level beyond the AHL necessarily very often, but... Uh, you know, it's it's one of the one of those rare like undiscovered countries of hockey coverage, which is not to say that if you you know turn up to the press box, you're the only person there, but it does make uh, you a, a rare person within the hockey blogosphere. I would say. Oh, definitely. It's it's such a niche, but like. It feels really local. That's the thing is that you're writing for a lot of local people. So the opportunity with Canucks Army was really interesting. But that year, you know, the comments had a lot of guys that sent down and um, spent some time in Kalamazoo. I think when it comes to goaltending prospects, that's where you need to be paying attention to the ECHL more. Goaltending depth tends to to trickle down a little bit more than your forward depth. At least players who who are most likely to make it to the NHL. Um, But yeah, it, it. it's fun in a way, though, because like, you know, people don't care about it as much. And so you get away with more <laughs> <laughs> uh, players are a little more honest with me. I had a player once tell me straight up that a referee apologized to him for making the wrong call. <laughs> I've had players say, uh, maybe don't print that <laughs> after they say something because they realize that like 
you know, they have a little bit more freedom, but also maybe they shouldn't say some of the things that they do. So it's fun. <laughs> no, that's a great point because, you know, we've got uh, the, the Vancouver Canadians are a local baseball team here and they are like a summer league. It's below like single a ball it's the lowest level of professional baseball there is but they are an affiliate of the toronto blue jays and you are likely to see guys who go on to play for the blue jays sometimes positional players more often though it's pitchers because pitchers are of course like goalies the position where you need to find a place to play and it's not like there are all these other spots for you to go in all these different leagues. Goaltending, largely the same. You only have six available spots in any organization, really, unless you're doing uh, you know, a, a three-man tandem, which is very rare these days in particular. So yeah, you are probably likely to see somebody who goes on to um, you know, maybe not be an NHL starter, but certainly play some games in the NHL. Well, Jordan Bennington right now spent time in Kalamazoo. He he played for the Kalamazoo Wings. So, uh, and and a lot of these guys, you know, they play one or two games. I know both goaltenders uh, for the Sharks, both Martin Jones and um, Aaron Dell played in the ECHL. Um, I think Holtby even played in the ECHL. But for those guys, it's you know just a handful of games here and there. Um, Aaron Dell actually, I believe, did spend a full season in the ECHL, but. Um, yeah, like you said, there's only, you know, six to seven positions on any given organization. So, so you got to find where you can, can play. And a lot of times too, in the AHL, if you've got a backup, that's just not playing, they'll send them down just to get them some games in because, you know, why not? You've got that affiliate there for a reason. <laughs> just get them out on the ice, get them, get them in working shape. <laughs> now, you obviously cover this team because you live in Kalamazoo and this is your local team, right? Yes, yes, so, absolutely. So is this all the talk around town lately uh, with Bennington and the Blues in the Stanley Cup final that like, that's our boy? Because I certainly remember when the Jays were making their playoff run a couple years back, uh, you know, Vancouver newspapers had just, you know, all the guys who played for the Seas just blasted plastered all over him articles about him all the time is that is it just uh is the city a buzz with talk about jordan bennington used to play here oh yeah oh absolutely uh you know this is this was the kalamazoo wings uh 45th season so like they did this huge anniversary season thing i don't know why 45 in particular was like a big thing but it was their 45th season and they did a lot of retrospectives on former players former coaches um and and Bennington comes up and and now that you know their season's over and and uh he's in the final it's it's a big exciting thing if you look at the K-Wings Twitter feed I think it's all just Bennington tweets right now (laughs) (laughs) well we cannot talk about the ECHLC without getting into uh just what the hell is going on with their championship (laughs) trophy right now the Kelly Cup Uh, last year was won by uh, was it the Colorado team? Who- Colorado Eagles. They won it for their second year in a row. Um, and it was their last year in the ECHL because they got awarded an AHL expansion, um, mostly because they were affiliated with Colorado. And, you know, that, that puts them a lot closer than their uh, former AHL club. So, you know, it worked out for them, but they just didn't give the trophy back. <laughs> Yeah, is it one of those things where they just figure, like, you know, if I retire as champion, I'm champ forever, and I I don't have to return this trophy? I wish I had actual insight into what happened, because right now it's the 
the Eagles are saying, we've contacted the league. They can come get the trophy. They just haven't. And the league saying, we know the situation and we uh, we ask the Eagles to return it. And they're like, that's it. That's <laughs> it's just the standoff. My, my concern is that like, because this came out. So what happened was that... Um, uh, Patrick Kelly, who used to be the ECHL commissioner, he sat down and did, I believe it was a radio interview <laughs> and uh, just kind of dropped. And he said, like, like, I don't know if I should say this, but they still have the cup. And everyone was like, wait, what? <laughs> and so I think that the league was just planning on pretending like this was the Kelly Cup. <laughs> like, I don't know who knows that the Kelly Cup was still in Colorado. Because, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, they had to make a brand new replica with all of the same engravings that the old one would have it's it's like a perfect prop but it is still a prop it is not the kelly cup which has yet to be returned to them and then like you said it's such a weird thing because the league has it seems like in their statements have alleged that you know we made arrangements and you did not follow through on those arrangements and uh, from what I can tell, the Eagles are just sort of like, you know, you know what you did. <laughs> we, yeah. we, we, we will resolve this in due time. But it's, you know, it, it's such, it, I can't tell, are they holding it hostage? Do they have demands? Or is it just a matter of like, somebody needs to come get this thing. You need to come pick up your kid from school. Yeah, like, and I don't feel like they left the ECHL on bad terms, you know, like, uh, a lot of a lot of things happened last year where Quad City folded kind of unexpectedly. It was just at the end of the season they announced that they were folding. They knew that the Eagles were leaving, and then there were two expansion teams to start this year um, with the Newfoundland Growl- Growlers, who just won the fake Kelly Cup, <laughs> and uh, the Maine Mariners. So kind of a weird end to the season, but I I, I didn't think going out as the champions was like a bad thing. <laughs> like that <laughs> they were shading the league by doing that. <laughs> So I just, it's so wild to me. You know, I went to the ECHL All-Star game this year and the Kelly Cup was there, but it was not, (laughs) it was this replica and no one knew. Like how, how long would they have let this go go on? It's just absolutely wild to me. Yeah. I mean, uh, I will keep our eyes peeled for any sort of resolution here, but it's, you know, this is the way the ECHL makes the news, right? It's, it's, yeah. (laughs) I had heard about the Growlers winning the cup. Uh, the other day, but uh, you know, that's not well, something. Well, they're Toronto's that... affiliate, so y- yes. you're gonna hear about it. <laughs> but that's that's not even really something that cracks mainstream sports coverage, even as Toronto's affiliate. I think I just heard about it because Growlers is kind of a funny name, really. Um, but like, this is the way the ECHL gets mainstream coverage: is you know, uh, this kind of lunacy that just paints the league in a bad light, unfortunately. Yeah, the K-Wings have actually made national coverage, I think, twice in the last two years. Uh, and both were, <laughs> the first was, um, oh gosh, I'm trying to think of, Catalyst, Eric Catalyst. He's a defenseman for the Kalamazoo Wings. Um, he, he did a moonwalking celly. I don't know if you saw that, but it, uh, it, it got like on ESPN, I think. Like it was pretty big. Um, <laughs> and that actually caused players to go after him the next game. Um, yeah. And then the year before that, uh, Ben Wilson slashed someone 20 times, I believe. Something just absolutely ridiculous. A- an absurd number of slashes um, or cross checks while he was on the ground. Uh, it-, it was just an awful, awful situation. Uh, he got suspended for half the season. 
and that made national coverage. So it's like, of all the things that, like, if people are going to be talking about the ECHL, uh, some trophy heist, like, sure. Like, please talk about that <laughs> instead of literally anything else. Ah, <laughs> uh, well, uh, let's talk about the team that you cover on a more regular basis, which is the San Jose Sharks, who, uh, you know, I think I was pulling for definitely to be in the cup final as opposed to the St. Louis Blues. And I feel like that was probably the consensus pick across the board from fans and media alike. We were all sort of salivating at the idea of this, you know, Joe Thornton versus the Bruins narrative all these years later. Um, so, you know, I, I, I guess my question is, uh, where did it all go wrong for them? Because I think people want to point the finger at Martin Jones and his uh, goaltending and the inconsistencies uh, uh, in the crease. But at the same time, they don't even get as far as they made it without Martin Jones. So how mad can you really be at him? Yeah, I, I mean... I was prepared for the Sharks to lose in the first round. And I think a lot of people were like that Vegas series was very hard that they were a very good team. I I won't go so far as to say that that five minute penalty changed the entire course of that game. I mean, it, it it did in a way, but I'm not going to say that the Sharks were just lucky in winning that game. Um, I don't think they were any more lucky than anyone is going into a game seven, but I you know, I was prepared. I was prepared for that to 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 end in a loss, and that would be it for the Sharks this season because I mean, of Martin Jones. And Vegas was slated to be the Western finalist again for the second year in a row. They did it last year. They made their team way better over the course of the off season and at the trade deadline. You know, it's it was not a crazy thing to think that they were just going to stomp their way to the final all over again. Right, and I will say this about Vegas. They got hot at the right time. Like they absolutely got good at the like at the right time in the season, you know, about halfway through the seasons when they, you know, cuz they struggled to start this year, but they they made the right moves, they got things turned around and if the Sharks would have lost, have lost to them in the first round, it would have made sense to me. And part of that is Martin Jones because Martin Jones was awful in the first round. <laughs> he was so bad and he was bad through the whole season. And uh, talking to to some people who know a little bit more about goaltending than I do, uh, you know, part of it it seems that in the off season he made changes to his style of play, and that those things are a little harder to adjust on the fly. It's a little harder to look at that and go, it's not working. Let's change it for the next game. When that's what you've been working on all summer is to play a certain way. So you want to make that certain way work, and it wasn't. It wasn't working for him. Um, I don't know what turned around. But it did. I mean, Martin Jones has always been pretty streaky. If you look at his history, you know, he has a good playoff save percentage. Uh, but it, it, he's always been streaky in the regular season. It doesn't surprise me that this year he just happened to be streaky in playoffs. What really kind of doomed the Sharks was injuries. That was that was the biggest thing. You know, I'm almost grateful that the Sharks didn't make it to the final because I, I watched St. Louis go after joe pavelski's head that entire series and that's really hard that's some that's so difficult when you know you know the extent of brain trauma and what that does to a person and to know that he was concussed in that in at the end of um game seven and that's what he was dealing with and then comes back you know at the end of the colorado series from a concussion like a major concussion like that oh so 
would I want to watch the Bruins do that to the Sharks then? You know, absolutely not. But there, there was a lot going on. There was Eric Carlson's glass groin and, um, you know, Couture had taken a puck to the mouth. <laughs> uh, Pavelski had taken a puck to the mouth. I mean, like, these guys were beat up. They were, uh, Hurdle got injured in the series against the Blues. Um, by the by game seven, they were, lit- or game six, uh, they, <laughs> they had Dylan Gambrell, who at that point had only played on the fourth line occasionally. I think he played like 13 ga- or uh, 10, sorry, 11 games this season, something like that. Um, on the fourth line, he was playing like on the second line because they just had nobody. <laughs> so uh, just injuries, injuries, yeah. injuries. Uh, they were too beat up. This sounds uh, so similar to the Vancouver Canucks of 2011 because, you know, like <laughs> the, the, the Stanley Cup playoffs are – it, it, it is so rare that we see the best team triumph in the end. It is just the team that is able to uh, best be held together by duct tape, essentially, by the time yeah. you get to the end. Because it is such a grind. It is such a physical toll that you put on yourself over the course of... Like, they play playoff hockey. If you make the finals, you are... Especially, you know, even if you're, if you're in a dogfight to make the playoffs and then you go on a run afterwards... You've been playing hockey for two and a half months at the playoff level just to make the final and play in the final, never mind the grind that it takes to get there in the first place. And, yeah, yeah. I mean, that, that, is, that sounds so familiar, you know. Uh, I, I got to watch the Canucks lose Game 7 of the Stanley Cup Final with Jeff Tambellini playing as the <laughs> second-line left winger and, you know, just the team's defensive depth and scoring depth entirely depleted. And it's brutal because, you know, in your head, you think, like, the way this roster was built, if this was a healthy team facing a healthy opposition, they would probably win. But when you have to play 20-odd games, 25, 28 games, if you go seven series four times in a row, you know, like uh, seven-game series, rather, uh, it's it's just you're you're left with scraps because these guys just obliterate themselves over the course of this run and it's 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 very difficult to watch you're bang on correct because yeah especially a guy like Pavelski I don't know you know it's hard to accuse a team of head hunting but they certainly were keen in on guys and playing them physical because they knew it could take them out of the series and tilt the games in their factor and that is the way that teams have to play if they want to win, I guess, but it's hard to watch at the same time. Yeah, my my bandwagoning interest is always the the team that doesn't have a cup, uh, except for this year. <laughs> and it's not even that the Blues beat the Sharks. It's, you know, this is like the most talented Blues roster that they've had in a long time. Uh, they finally got away from like the 20 goons and one skilled player roster construction. And yet, that whole series they were just just absolutely doing illegal physical things that just it it was hard to watch and i'm not going to say that you know not uh, every team tries to cheat that's whatever they all do but that that in particular was rough especially you know the history between these two teams because they met in the western conference final in 2016 when the sharks went on to the stanley cup final uh that was not a pretty series either and so it's just, it's hard, you know, it's hard to root for the, the guys that injured, you know, a lot of your, your players. And uh, I don't know, that's, it's, it hurts to, to cheer on the Bruins too. So <laughs> <laughs> 
I am all bad. <laughs> I am heartened though to hear you say that it's it was injuries that they were worn down because that was kind of my read on it as well. But I had to deal with you know all these guys in my hockey pool taking victory laps for saying that that you know Martin Jones is terrible. This guy sucks. I told you. See, look at his save percentage. You, oh yeah, you, all the choking jokes and stuff. And it's like, dude, they were just injured. Like yeah. that at that point, like you can't. What are you gonna do when the team's that injured? Save like- <laughs> percentage on some level is a reflection of team play, and when your team is just injured to hell, like you, the, your goalie cannot just you know stand on his head and be a miracle man. That just doesn't happen. We don't see the. I mean, those performances do happen once. In a decade, you'll get, you know, like a J.S. Jaguar in Anaheim or, you know, even Luongo on some level in the in the year that uh, that Anaheim won the cup in 2007. They only made it to the second round, but he was playing just out of his mind insane. It's just like those you remember those performances because they are so rare. It's impossible to expect that from someone. Yeah. And I <laughs> I'm going off a of memory here, so I might have this wrong, but I do believe that there's only uh this is not in defense of Martin Jones. I'm so sorry. But uh, there's only one goaltender who was like a sub 900 save percentage goaltender in the regular season who went on to win the Stanley Cup. And I believe that was the Hurricanes. Um, <laughs> Sounds about right. Yeah. I, not 100% on that, but I think it, that was the only one. So, you know, did I think that they were going to win the Cup this year? It, they were battling a lot of odds with Martin Jones in that. <laughs> <laughs> but. I do think that injuries were ultimately what brought him down. Well, when you're talking about those injuries, you mentioned Eric Carlson, who uh, certainly in this market and I think a lot of other places who would like to see him uh, come here this summer, took that tweet that he wrote that was, you know, very appreciative of the year and the memories made in, in San Jose to be a goodbye to the San Jose Sharks. Uh, <laughs> is that the way it has been interpreted by uh, the San Jose market, or are they still sort of feeling like this guy could come back? So when I first saw it, that was my impression too. I was like, oh, okay, so he's leaving. Like that's. But uh, something interesting was that uh, Kyle, who he does a podcast with me on Fear the Fin, he dropped in the tweet that Evander Kane wrote at the same time last year when they got knocked out of playoffs. And they read very similarly. And so, you know, and I knew that at that point, Kane's uh, intention was to stay in San Jose. He, He had been wanting to sign with the Sharks pretty much from the jump. So, you know maybe it's just one of those like things that people are reading into because they want to do i know for sure that he wants to stay in san jose i i got that impression at the all-star game when i talked to him at the all-star game i he spoke so highly of the city and the organization you know he really put a lot of emphasis on how respectful Doug Wilson and his team have been in terms of giving the Carlson space that they need and giving them everything that they need to to adjust to San Jose and to acclimate. And, you know, I think that's the thing right now that's kind of in the the news is the the family angle, right? That Melinda is homesick, that she wants to go back to Ottawa. But my impression then at least, and granted this is back in January, was that the there's a huge emphasis on family in, in San Jose and that Carlson really appreciated and respected that. Uh, the Sharks are one of the few teams that they have their kids out at practices and stuff. The way that um, Pavelski and Burns, especially their kids, are constantly around and in the locker rooms and, you know, the, that's not 
typical of an NHL club. Um, and I know in particular the Flyers this season um, saw that when uh, they let uh, shoot Hextall. It was Hextall the coach. I always get Hextall and Hextall switched around. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> uh, Hextall, but when he probably. left, yeah, um, yeah, uh, that you know, the kids were in the locker room again and that they he hadn't allowed that. And that was actually kind of standard across the NHL or not standard, but a lot of clubs are like that where they don't want distractions. And so, I, like I said, I got the impression that the the Sharks organization had made a really big impact on him and, and really that he he was kind of leaning towards it. That was just the impression that I got. I can't say that he said anything, you know, one way or the other, but uh, what I've heard now is that the Sharks have made their offer, and and that's that's where we're at. The Sharks have made an offer. We can hope, but uh, that's their priority. And I think uh, I think when you look at it like that, that they are intent on signing Eric Carlson before they even approach anyone else's contract. Um, in particular, Joe Pavelski is a big sticking point that you know they haven't re-signed their captain, um, who is still. He's, you know, he's, I believe he's turning 35 um, this fall. I might be wrong on that, um, but close. Uh, you know, he's still got, you know, a lot of good hockey left in him, I think. Um, but they haven't even had contract talks with him until they sign Carlson or Carlson lets them know his intentions. So um, I believe uh, on 31 Thoughts, Friedman said that we would know like his intentions within a week. Don't know how specific that'll actually be, <laughs> but um, yeah, it's just a waiting game at this point. Yeah. I mean, you'd have to be insane and really to come this close to free agency and not at least dip your toes into it. Right. Even if your intention was that you want to stay in San Jose, should you not at the very least just see what else is out there before you make that commitment? Because, you know, if you're Eric Carlson, this is probably going to be the last contract that you ever sign in your career. Yeah. And I think if the sharks aren't serious contenders, he will let them know. Like, I just, I feel like that's a conversation that they also probably had because, uh, you know, the John Tavares thing last summer, the sharks were led to believe that they were, you know, pretty high up on that list and turns out that, you know, he was really just deciding between staying in Long Island or, um, or, uh, going to Toronto and that, that kind of sucked for that organization, you know, to put all their eggs <laughs> in the, the John Tavares basket and then, then have to kind of scramble for a plan B. And thankfully the plan B was Eric Carlson and that turned out wonderfully, but it, it was, a bit of a frustrating summer, I think, for the organization to to go through that. So um, having seen that happen, I wouldn't be surprised if Eric Carlson says, you know what, I think that as much, you know, as much as he, he does appreciate what the organization has done, and he's made that very clear, um, I think he respects them enough to let them know that, you know what, I think I might move on. Yeah, uh, you, you know, I, I had the same reading on it as you, that the, that the kind of reaction that this is a for sure goodbye is probably overblown. Who knows what it means in the end, but ultimately it just read to me like a reflection on the year at the end of a playoff run, and you're obviously not going to put that statement out you know, the night of or the day after you get bounced out of the playoffs, you do want to allow some time for reflection. But to me, that's what it was, not a 
it's been a slice, San Jose, catch you down the road, see you when I see you sort of thing. Um, and, you know, when we had Kyle Wellwood on the show several years ago now, he talked about San Jose being, like, his favorite place that he ever played because the weather is perfect. Your family is going to love living there largely because of the weather. <laughs> um, but also, like, it's a competitive team, and you get to have a relatively normal life. Like, I'm sure that there are people who live there when you go out who will recognize you, but the media scrutiny does not exist the way that it does in Canada. And if you just want to go out to the mall with your family, you can probably do that, and it's not going to be this huge hubbub of, of uh, you know, frenzied attention or what have you. I will say uh, the media situation in San Jose has gotten worse. <laughs> I, w- I, uh, I, w- I don't know that I can give too many details on that, but I will say that the the media situation, I think if this were a larger market or a market that more people in the league paid attention to, they would have some questions about <laughs> the media situation with the Sharks. Um, but that that out of the way, I, I agree. I, I mean, when I talk to... I. I mean, I talked to players across the league at the All-Star Game about San Jose specifically and what makes San Jose such a good hockey city and what makes it, you know, a city that so many players want to play in. And one of the things that came up again and again was the fans that it is I heard from multiple players that it's the loudest building in the NHL. And I believe it. Uh the shark stands are very loud <laughs> that that building during playoffs was just absolutely insane um and that's just from me someone who was watching the broadcast like it's very loud very passionate fan base um and part of that is that they are constantly in playoffs you know there's one missed playoffs in recent memory but that's that's it i think they've missed a total of six times in their entire history that's crazy uh, other teams don't don't get to do that and don't get to compete every single year. Whether it's a year you know that you're going in and going to lose in the first round, like 2017, um, or the miracle year of 2016, you you know that's going to be it. You're going to be playing ho- hockey well into the summer, and uh, and that's exciting. And and I, that's a huge selling point, right? Yeah, like that's got to be player, absolutely. Yeah, so players love it, and this is something that I think has been it's kind of talked about in the league that you know san jose is somewhere that players always want to play but it's uh it's making it work and with carlson it's the money it's the term and whether or not they can make that work well let's talk about that constant competitiveness then because uh, this is something that was debated uh, on the radio when i was working uh, on air at 650 last week we were talking about kind of uh st louis had that run of of 25 consecutive years where they made the postseason but never really did anything i think they made the western final once during that 25 year period but for the large uh majority of it it was basically like one and done first round exits is that almost worse than being a bottom feeding team is to just constantly have that hope dangled in front of your face and never have it pay off? Like what is more painful, uh, you know, just constantly making the playoffs and never seeing it go anywhere or, uh, you know, being a fan of the Edmonton Oilers. And I, I know the answer to that, especially when I use Edmonton as the example, but you, you know what I'm talking about, right? Okay. So I think there are like, there are three stages here, right? Because there's the Oilers who are the 
perennial rebuild <laughs> where there is never the competitive seasons are the rare ones mm-hmm. <laughs> and then there's like the sharks who are the complete opposite where the the, the rebuild or restructuring seasons are are very very rare um and then there's the teams who are kind of in the middle where they they kind of rebuild on the fly i think columbus is a pretty good example of that uh the rangers might be expediting their their rebuild a little bit pretty well um so in terms of what's more painful uh you know i think before 2016 before the sharks had ever made the final that that would have been a point where you'd say okay just tear it down like just get a lot of skill and and rebuild but the fact is the sharks had a lot of skill and i think that that doug wilson has done an incredible job building the roster and so it doesn't feel like since 2016 at least that the organization is making moves like and this is an example but uh ken holland with the red wings for so long it seemed like his moves were to make playoffs not to build a contender yes and and doug wilson has always always tried to build a contender um and and so it doesn't make that that painful and i think once they got to the cup final and it was like okay we're over that hump now we just we gotta win it that that it, it made it a lot more clear that like this is a team that is not going to be satisfied with just making the playoffs. So that's not the goal isn't to make the playoffs. And and the organization has had that in their sights. So so that helps. That helps mitigate that. I think Sharks fans are pretty lucky in that regard. Yeah, I mean, you look at, you know, the way that the Canucks are, are running their show right now or, you know, we're, we're bagging on the Oilers, may as well continue that as well. <laughs> uh, or even like the pre-Shanahan Maple Leafs. The, these are all teams that are looking for the quick fix, that want to make this big splash move that will grab all these headlines and and put their team in a favorable light in the media and show that the fans that they are doing their best to, to make the best team that they can as soon as they can. They want these impactful moves. The irony is that, you know, it's a team like the Sharks that gets to be in on those moves every single time they come around. You know, you did not land John Tavares, but you do make the trade for Eric Carlson. You do make the trade for Brent Burns. You do make the trade for Joe Thornton. When these elite talents do hit the trade market, more often than not, it is the Sharks who are able to land these massive players in these huge trades because of patience. You need to to follow this team-building philosophy of building through the draft and prioritizing draft picks and and making the right picks with the with the you know selections that you do get to be able to have these impactful moves these swing for the fences moves because you know you look at the way that that San Jose has done it the way that they have been able to be competitive for the better part of two decades now it's entirely by being a patient draft focused team that you know drafts and develops more players than they possibly even have room for, right? Like, the irony is that, like, if you want to make an impact, you need to have the assets built up over time through patience to do it. Yeah, the Sharks have never really been in a great drafting position because of this constant competitiveness. So Doug Wilson, I I think, has identified that and done something really smart in his scouting departments where he's been able to sign European free agents that are 
huge impact players. I mean, Jonas Donskoy, as an example, um, Marcus Sorensen, who had just a, a career year this year. Um, and to have those European scouts looking for those players. Um, and then to to draft smart. I mean, like, that's the only way to describe it is that they are so smart about their draft. And yeah, some of those players don't work out. But then you have Josh Norris, who the Sharks were, they drafted, had, at, I believe, one development camp um, and then got him. Uh, in the in the trade for Eric Carlson, sent him to Ottawa, and we're able to convince Ottawa. Not I don't convince is a a hard word, I guess. But um, <laughs> there's a quote from Doug Wilson that sticks out to me about that trade, where he says that he doesn't feel like he is you know swindling these other GMs or anything because he really believes in those players. He believes in what the organization is building, and he's able to sell other GMs on that because he, he very earnestly believes it. he's proud of what San Jose has created and who they've drafted and the, the talent in those players, uh, Rudolph Balsers, I think in that trade is the perfect example where, you know, that, that player might not necessarily have been a trade target were it not for his time in the, um, in the Sharks organization and, and coming up and, becoming a true talent and i mean not that he wasn't but to uh to be able to be sold as a true talent i think in that way is uh, a pretty unique and just smart it's just a smart organization yeah i mean he's also shown uh wilson that is a, you know a knack for knowing when to cut bait on guys as well uh, at a time mm -hmm. when the league was leaning into speed and skill he looked at his back end and decided that he did not need douglas murray anymore <laughs> despite the fact that the team was bound for the play Offs, he could still sell this guy off and get two second round picks for him in return. Granted, you know, when you follow the trade tree on that one, I don't think either of those second round picks pan out, but the Sharks are at a luxury position where you can have two second round picks not pan out for you and it doesn't really impact your prospect depth at all because hell you look at the cup final right now the guy who's making a huge impact for boston is sean corrali who was a fifth round pick of the sharks in 2011 mm -hmm. and i'm pretty sure that the only was in the martin jones trade yeah uh, <laughs> uh, yeah that's where that was okay uh -huh. because i was gonna say uh you know, it, uh, he didn't sign with the, mm -hmm. the, with the Sharks. I had sort of assumed that that was because uh, they just didn't have room for him in their prospect pool, but he was traded away. See, again, yeah. you have assets, you're able to make moves. Yeah, I, you know, I think the 2017 draft was one that I, I paid pretty close attention to, and the Sharks didn't have a great pick. I believe that was the year that they were eliminated by Edmonton in the first round. Um, so weren't picking super high or anything, but they, that year, the, um, the San Jose Barracuda went to the Calder cup Western conference final and they had stacked Barracuda depths. And a lot of those guys right now are fighting for a roster spot or will be in the fall, um, or were last fall. And so that draft, a lot of the players that he picked were college players or college commits. And to me that stood out just in, it was, it is an interesting move to to stack up on NCAA guys, but then you look at it and go, well, how long is it going to be before they're able to actually come into this organization? Two to four and that's, years or so. Yeah. 
And so it's so smart to be like, yeah, we know that these guys are already committed to a couple years at least at their universities. Sure, let's see how this pans out, what they develop like there. And then we can bring them in when we have the room for them. And I thought that that was so smart. That draft, um, that was the Josh Norris draft, which that, again, was regarded as a very safe pick. But I, I, I think that it, it worked out in the end. And even if the Sharks had, had kept him um, in whatever circumstances that would have been, uh, he would have worked out pretty well. He has a pretty high ceiling. So, uh, yeah, just smart drafting like that to look at your organization, identify their needs. Last year, picking Ryan Merkley, who was a high risk, but I think ultimately going to be a high reward player um, and identifying those issues and going, you know what, in San Jose, we can work with this. And and uh, it's it's just very smart. Well, uh, let's talk about Joe Thornton because, you know, I mentioned, <laughs> mentioned earlier everybody uh, kind of pulling for the Sharks in the playoffs this year because they want to see Joe get one, especially it would have been so sweet against his former team, really stick it to him before he rode <laughs> off into the sunset because we are expecting that sunset ride to come any day now. It is insane to think that there are multiple, multiple franchises in the NHL right now that are young younger than Joe Thornton that have been in the league <laughs> for fewer years than Joe Thornton. Uh, you know, whether that's Carolina or uh, Minnesota or Columbus or any number of these expansion teams, uh, Nashville, I'm pretty sure over the years who came in after Joe Thornton had his rookie year with the Bruins. It is fucking insane that this guy is still around and kicking. Uh, do you expect him to be back next year or, or was this the end of Jumbo Joe? I think so. I think, you know, the thing is, we've been saying for three years that, oh, well, this is probably Joe Thornton's last year. Oh, this is probably Joe Thornton's last year. And then they get get in the playoffs and, oh, well, this, and then he loses a knee. And, oh, well, this is probably, we say it every year. I think that he bounced back really well this year um, in terms of his health because he does have two surgically repaired knees. uh, And at his age, that is not an easy thing. But I, I think, you know, he's to the point where he's, He's not looking for term, and he knows that. He's on one-year deals. I think that uh, I think he's got another year left in him. Still certainly looked like a valuable contributor in the playoffs and over the course of the regular season as well. Yeah, I mean, the Sharks moved him down to the third line, and I think that was that was the smartest thing they did this season um, in, in terms of Joe Thornton because he, you could kind of tell a little bit on some of the back-to-backs when he was still on the top line that was rough when you're, you're playing top line minutes and then you're playing in San Jose one night and the next night you're playing in LA or Anaheim and then you're flying back and you've got a day off and you're playing again in San Jose. Like it it was hard on him. And so moving him to the third line, limiting his minutes and then also giving him young, fast wingers in Kevin LeBanc and Marcus Sorensen. I mean, you're setting up the best passer in the league uh to with these fast guys that know how to shoot and i mean they're all riding like a 17 percent uh shooting percentage like just (laughs) absolutely unreal um and and it worked out really well and i think that almost any team in the league would benefit having joe thornton in their middle six i mean I think he's got at least another year. Well, I'm happy to hear you say that, but uh, we'll move on to another player now because when you were talking about the uh, Eric Carlson tweet, you compared it to a tweet from last summer written by Evander Kane who ended up staying. Uh, Evander Kane, obviously uh, a controversial figure 
in the yes. world of hockey, given his extensive history of uh, uh, getting into trouble. Uh, uh, all kinds. Or assault. Oh, yes, yes. That's a, probably a better way <laughs> to say it. Let's call it what it is. <laughs> yes. Uh, you know, it's it's try to dance around these things because they're hard to confront straight up. But uh, mm -hmm. what's it been like for you to have to, you know, cover this guy game in, game out? Someone who, you know, I'm sure you probably would have rather did not get traded to the Sharks that you did not have to cover on a nightly basis. Yeah, it's it's hard. Uh, I'm, I'm just going to be upfront about it. It is very hard to watch someone uh, that has been accused of the things that Evander Kane has been accused of um, wearing the sweater of the team that you love more than anything in the world. You know, that's that's hard. And this year in particular was really hard because he signed that seven year contract. And I think that kind of put it in perspective that like not only it's one thing when it's a, a player that is already on your team, already signed you know um, what their their contract is. Uh, in particular, comparing this to say the uh, sorry the Patrick Kane situation where he was already on the Blackhawks. Uh, you know what the organization's going to do, but to have your organization go out and pursue that player and, and then, then make a huge commitment to them. Yeah, that's it's hard. It's really hard, and um, <sighs> you know. Some people that uh, I have spoken with say that he does maintain the they're just lying. Every Everyone who has accused him of anything is lying, <laughs> which is even harder to know that um, and to to have to watch him play. It, it's, it's hard. It's just it's very difficult. And um, when it comes to covering him, and, and this is something I wrote about, um, and uh, uh, that piece spread a lot further than I, I anticipated, but all I was trying to do is just kind of set a standard for my site and to say, look, if you're a survivor of sexual assault and you're not happy about this move either, here's what you can expect when you come to fear the fin. And when you look at this page and what, so you have those expectations and a lot of it is just sticking, sticking to his hockey. I mean, like that's, that's it. I have to talk about him because he plays for the Sharks. I can't avoid that. I can't pretend he doesn't play for the Sharks. He scored a hat trick one night. I, I can't be like, oh, and the Sharks scored three goals. Like, <laughs> you know, you know, you have to you have to be realistic. If he had a good game, I'm going to talk about how he had a good game. But it's all about framing. You know, you can't frame, well, Evander Kane is flourishing in San Jose. It shows that he got over all of those bad things that were happening. That's not... They weren't bad things that happened to him. They were things that he did, and you have to acknowledge that. And and so it's it's a balancing act. Um, and I've gotten into a little bit of hot water for it before, and I'm I'm always going to stand by it. You know, I don't think that we as people who cover a team have to put aside the fact that people do bad things just because we have to to cover the sport that they play. And and to always keep that in your mind of you know is what I'm writing excusing something unrelated. Um, you know, you just have to to be conscientious of that and and keep it keep it in the back of your head all the time. That seems like a extremely fair stance. Uh, you know, more than reasonable, I would say. But like you alluded to, you probably still took a, an extreme amount of pushback and abuse. Um, I guess my question would be, what what possibly could people object to in taking that stance? Because, you know, I guess the internet is going to be the internet always. But what what sort of things did you get in response to that? Oh, that I'm discriminating against him. That, um, that, 
I mean, just the general kind of rape apologist type stuff that, you know, that he wasn't ever, um, oh gosh, I'm blanking on words now, but, um, that he was only accused, that it never went to trial and all of these other things to, to lay out all of the situations. He was, uh, accused of assault in Vancouver, (laughs) um, because he's from Vancouver. Uh, he was accused of assaulting sure a man. Um, <laughs> he was accused of sexual harassment in Buffalo of two women at a bar where he grabbed one of them by the neck and said that uh, he was going to take her home whether she liked it or not. Hey. Uh, yep. And then he was accused of sexual assault in a hotel in Buffalo. And then this year, um, there was an ex-girlfriend of his who claimed that he coerced her into having three abortions with the under like understandment or understandment. Wow. <laughs> with the understanding that um, that he would pay her uh, a sum of money in order to do it because she actually wanted to keep um the pregnancy so just a lot of not good stuff and all of those things you can imagine all of the excuses that people want to make and that um the stick to sports thing i get too which is so funny because it's like that's what i'm doing like that's that's literally what i'm doing it's just i'm just going to like i in addition to not post making you know some feature on evander kane and the struggles he's overcoming i'm also not running any stories about his cases because uh I just want to keep myself out of that legal hot water, mostly. Yeah, and the worst part of all that is, is like, all of those situations are to disregard the ways that he has run into trouble with his own teammates. The whole Dustin Bufflin situation in in Winnipeg, where you know it seemed like the the entire Jets organization had soured on him as a human being by the end. There, like, this is this is someone who has just run afoul of things. Even if you are to just stick to sports on some level, too. Yes. And it, it's it's hard because I will tell you this. His teammates in San Jose love him. Part of it is that he, he played with Joe Thornton abroad. And so there's that connection. And they, you know, Joe Thornton picked him up from the airport when he got traded. And they love him in San Jose. So that's another thing that's hard to, to talk about. Well, he had all these other issues with his teammates before doesn't matter because san jose that's fine and then you know the thing about evander kane too is that i have to look at am i treating this case any differently than i would if it were say again patrick kane because evander kane has dealt with racism in his career and that's something too that you also have to address is yes evander kane uh in winnipeg dealt with a lot of racism absolutely and, and that is a fact that is something that i will absolutely i will not ignore in fact there's a quote from him about that that um or not from that exactly but he he talked about uh atlanta and how atlanta felt like a failure for black hockey fans and i keep that quote in my head constantly you know but also he did all these horrible things or was alleged of all of these horrible things and and you can't conflate the two you can't sit there and be like well he was also a victim of racism and he had to get over that and also he had to get over these accusations of assault those are not the same thing (laughs) like racism is something that is done to you assault is something that you do uh so (laughs) it's it's it, it is such a delicate situation to dance around and i you know i i'll admit that i don't always find the best way to do it but 
uh, I at least put in the effort where I know that there are some some people in media who don't. Yeah, I, I, something that was discussed on this show like way back when, a long, long time ago now, because this is going back several years when he was still in Winnipeg, was that whole situation when he was in Vegas with those big stacks of money, talking into a money phone <laughs> or doing push-ups with cash stacks on his back. Like the yeah. entire reaction to that like is just entirely... You know, the way he was painted as this entitled athlete, blah, blah, blah. We know athletes are millionaires. We know that people who put the puck in the net for a living the way that he does get paid. The only difference between him and any number of guys who make that kind of money is, well, you could say that uh, they, they don't show it off. They don't post those photos online or whatever. But I think there's a pretty big racial bias that went into that as well. So it, it is... Yeah, you're right. This is a complicated figure where there are, uh, you know, these things that have happened to him over the course of his career that do make him a sympathetic person to cover. And then there are these other things where it's like, this man seems like a fucking monster as well. So, yeah, uh, hard. But uh, I would say you do a tremendous job. And uh, I would also say that it seems funny to me that the same sort of people who uh, will react to, you know, different, you know, whether it's comparing the way guys get injured in the NBA Finals to the NHL playoffs, those kinds of like my sport uh, style <laughs> tweets, the guys yeah. who, who want to make hockey this broader, more beloved thing, also push back against someone like you when you do try to make the effort to make hockey as inclusive and for everyone as you possibly can. Um well, I mean, you know, those people that want hockey to be fun, they don't they don't want the Evander Canes or the PK Subans. They want the Brent Burns. And that's that's the the sad reality of it. Is, you know, they they want personality under their own terms. And usually those terms are not uh not inclusive. <laughs> Let's say that for uh yeah, which seems like the perfect time to transition over to the Stanley Cup final, where uh, I don't know how much you've been watching of uh, Blues and Bruins. As we record this, the series is tied 2-2 after four games. Uh, personally, I have found this series to be largely unwatchable. Uh, half of the games of the first four have been just awful to watch, and I am not saying that because the Bruins won those games, <laughs> though that certainly didn't help. It's that, you know, whether you're cheering for Golden State or Toronto in the NBA final, so far all of the games have been close and competitive and fun to watch. You cannot say the same for the way this cup final has gone so far. Uh, certainly the, the two games that the Bruins have won, just lopsided routes that like nobody is walking away from that feeling like, oh, this was a good use of my time to watch these games that were just fucking brutal. Yeah, and I mean, far be it for me, a Sharks fan, to complain about officiating this year. <laughs> But, like, it's bad. <laughs> it's real bad. So it makes it that, I mean, that alone makes it pretty unwatchable. You know, when you're watching things that clearly should be called or uh, was it Bennington that, that uh, he dove? <laughs> was it Bennington or was it uh, Jake Allen? I can't remember it because I didn't watch that game. I only saw, it. I think it was Bennington that just Marchand tapped him on the leg and then he pauses and then <laughs> yeah i think that was collapses i mean like it's a joke it's a joke I, you know stuff like that it, it's 
yeah, it's not a fun series. I mean, I think everyone knew going in. I would love to see the numbers. I would love to know how this uh, this final is comparing to, to previous years. Yeah, I just don't think there's any league-wide interest in either of these teams. I mean, Boston is a big one, I guess, but they've been prominent, not just in a, as a hockey team, but as a sports city for so long that right. everybody's just fucking sick of these guys. Like, are you kidding me? Again, Boston, are you kidding me? Yeah, uh, well, and I thought Boston stood a pretty good chance last year, and and it was relatively quiet this year how good they still were, you know? And that's surprising to me that, like, no one really talked about Boston this year, and yeah. now they're in the final, and it's like, oh... Yeah, we probably should have paid attention to them. But then St. Louis is like a good story, and that building has been rocking all playoffs long. And, you know, it's it's fun. It's a historic thing that a team that was in last place on January 4th makes the run from the bottom of the standings to, you know, potentially winning the cup. We'll see how the the last three games of the series go. That's a good story, but I just don't know that, like – there's any sort of interest in them uh, as a team to hook you in to watch this series, even if you were a hockey fan, you know? Yeah, I mean, to me, the Blues were more interesting when they were fist fighting each other in practice. Exactly, <laughs> the and the Canucks the made them do that. <laughs> Canucks just so. stomped them, and that, that's how that happened. So you can yeah. thank Vancouver for that one. <laughs> so, yeah, but I... This is the Stanley Cup playoffs problem every year, though, right? Is like... Interest is up big every year for the first round of the playoffs, whether your team is in it or uh, or not. Whether you're a diehard hockey fan or a casual who's just intrigued by uh, watching the games on a nightly basis. The first round of the playoffs seems to hook people in consistently year over year, and interest just fizzles the more you whittle down the teams. And I don't know how much that has to do with the team that you have a rooting interest in is out, so you're out as well. As much as maybe it ties back to what we were talking about earlier as this war of attrition injury thing, you know, the hockey as you go along stops resembling the game that you like to see over the course of the regular season and in the first round because teams just get so injured and it becomes this, you know, like you said, this violent sort of head-hunting sport again. And there, there is a market for that. But I think the NBA is showing right now, certainly with the numbers that it's putting up, that there's a much larger market for speed and skill over whatever hockey devolves into as the playoffs go along. Yeah, and I mean, the marketing issue, I think, is twofold in that, you know, it it covers the style of play and, you know, that they still market hockey as like, remember that fighting fighting happens in this sport? <laughs> <laughs> like, come watch us fight each other, you know, like... <sighs> when in the playoffs that's not even a thing that that really happens um and then two i mean they just don't know how to get people to watch i mean they're riding this john ham thing into the ground when honestly like i mean you've got the uh the jenna fisher and um oh my gosh john krasinski like thing and they did nothing with that really i mean like there are so many marketing opportunities for this league that they just like it's handed to them and they do nothing with it and and they don't know how to market their players. I mean every other sport markets their superstars and we have awkward Connor McDavid commercials and yeah. like <laughs> Mitch Marner is filming things on his iPhone and Yeah, they <sighs> it's But yeah. A mess. Like 
Mad Men went off the air several years ago, and I, mm-hmm. John Hamm is all over every single game of this series. He's been all over this entire run, basically. Uh, I heard yeah. an interview with him on the uh, the Westwood One NBC Sports uh, radio broadcast for Game Three, I want to say, and it's like, what what does he have to promote at the end of his interview? Uh, Top Gun 2, which will be out <laughs> next summer. Okay, see you then, John. Uh, incredible. Yeah. That's so funny. <laughs> I mean, maybe it's just because it's John Hamm, though. Like, I mean, if the Kings were in the final and they had Retta, <laughs> like, I would, if they did this with Retta, I'm, sign me up. Like, I'm, I'm into that. Or, uh, you know, Snoop Dogg. Yeah. Like, why haven't they done more with Snoop Dogg? It gives Snoop Dogg, Dogg. Uh, Don Cherry's job, like just something. It, it <laughs> Do funny, something. <laughs> the one John Hamm moment that worked was uh, after the Maroon uh, overtime winner when they showed yeah. uh, Maroon come to him and, and they hugged each other in the box and John Hamm was crying. Like, yeah. that was wonderful. That was a he was real... He kiss that man on the mouth. Yeah. <laughs> it was a beautiful moment filled with real emotion. And because that took off, it just seems like they're trying to force it now every step of the way after that. Yeah, I mean, they had a whole press conference with him where he's still complaining about the hand pass. Like, grow up. <laughs> The real marketing problem, though, in this series is on the Boston side of things. Uh, True. To tie into our conversation on Evander Kane there, where they partnered with Barstool Sports to yeah. put out their rally towels. And I know that I am not the first person to say this, but you could literally partner with anyone, any company, anything to put out ra- your rally towels. You know, uh, all of the, like, scarves and towels that the Canucks produce uh, have, like, Scotiabank or, or like, Kohler even, a toilet company, like, mm-hmm. attached to them. You can partner with literally anyone. Uh, I guess, though, there there is a through line to be drawn from partnering with a toilet company to partnering with Barstool. <laughs> I, you know, the weirdest thing that hasn't – I haven't seen anyone bring this up, but the weirdest thing to me is that, like, Barstool is technically media. Like, why are they sponsoring something for a team that they write about? That is so strange to me. That's such a weird dynamic. And to me, that shouldn't have even been pursued in the first place. When you've got someone who writes about your team, you should not be pursuing them to sponsor. Like, that's just a weird gray area to me. I went to both of the... uh games that were played in LA in the first round series between the Kings and Canucks in 2012. And I, I have two uh, towels from those games. Both of them were sponsored by Men in Black 3. Like, you can literally, <laughs> you can get anything to sponsor these things, whatever the big movie is. Men in Black International could have sponsored yeah. <laughs> the Bruins rally towels for this series. They did not have oh. to go out and, and get this partnership with Barstool, which, you know, uh, I got a tweet when I was uh, ragging on uh, Portnoy the other night because he posted another video of himself crying after he got <laughs> slapped in the head with a towel, which uh, the the turnaround from they're just towels, I don't see what the big deal is, to uh, <laughs> literally crying on Twitter when you get smacked assaulted. by one. Yeah, I was assaulted. <laughs> uh, somebody uh, earnestly replied to me by being like, I, I literally, I don't know. What's the big deal with Barstool? I don't get it. Why are they so bad? And I 
did not have it in me to respond to this person, especially because they seemed like, uh, like uh, you know, a very conservative Twitter member that even if I yeah. told them what was wrong, they might not have cared. Uh, but for those who don't know, C, do you want to take a crack at what is wrong with Barstool? I mean, <laughs> just misogyny. I mean, like, that's that's the biggest thing. It's they They've also had a history of racism. I don't know if that is still an issue or uh, how, how they've, you know, combated that. I don't think that they really have intentionally, but that's a, a you know, story for another time. But um, I... <sighs> They, they do things like writing, you know, a column that's like smoke show of the week and shit like that. That like, like okay, a, sh- a, putting out like sure. a, a power ranking of like uh, the hottest teachers who have, uh, you know, sexually assaulted their students or whatever. Like, yeah, like, yeah. and on some level, like if this just existed as like a shitty media thing, then like. I think we would all just ignore it. It's the fact that they weaponize their followers into doxing people and harassing people. Like that's what make like makes them so different is that they always try to act like they are somehow the victims for the things that they put out into the world that are just awful and garbage. And, um, and then anyone who calls them out deserves all of the the hate and harassment that they get. Oh for yeah, doing they so. they command a troll army, and if you have any sort of problem with them, whether uh, it's you know you're a journalist and you want to cover something uh, gross that they did on their website and and call out the you know the uh, the uh, the journalistic ethics or lack thereof of the way they cover things, they're gonna sick their troll army on you. If they stole your content because they are content thieves and notoriously do that constantly mm-hmm. and you complain about it, they are going to sick their troll army on you. Um, the, it is just, you know, a, a repugnant website and uh, it, it's hard to, I mean, it's, it's literally everything you would expect from a Boston sports website. Like every, yeah. every bad connotation, every stereotype in your mind that you've built up about what Boston is, this horrible, racist, sexist, mm-hmm. bro culture city, uh, it is that distilled into a ostensibly sports website that also, like you said, uh, covers smoke shows of the week and all that sort of shit. But, uh, you know, it's not just a sports website. They do also have a podcast <laughs> network that features all kinds of podcasts about all sorts of different sports. Literally everything. Yeah, like, I- yeah they have an army podcast we learned yeah. this week. <laughs> we found out this yeah. week that they have a, a, a podcast that covers the United States military. <laughs> Zero Blog 30. And that made the news because... <laughs> Uh, a sitting Democratic con- or, or Republican con- congressman, I should say, went on to this show and um, confessed to war crimes. Which yeah, bold strategy. We'll see. Yeah. We'll see what happens with it. But uh, you know, see, I think it would help a real good show if you had any war crimes to uh, admit to at the moment. It would certainly get some coverage for this show. So uh, the floor is yours. Have you uh, committed any atrocities in Fallujah? You'd like to tell us about? 
I, I I really can't say that I have. Like the I've only been out of the country once. Uh, I went to the Bahamas when I was fourteen, and I got second degree sunburn <laughs> and spent like three days throwing up. So, <laughs> uh, no, <laughs> I'm sorry to disappoint. <laughs> too bad. Too bad. Yeah, it was uh, Republican Duncan Hunter. Who, first of all, what a waste of a great name. The man yeah. is named the Dunk Hunter. Like he could have made an entire career out of being like the and one version of the milf hunter where he just like <laughs> goes around to uh different outdoor basketball courts across the united states and looks for just monster jams from guys playing pickup games right across america that is a video series i would watch the dunk hunter. shirts that say dunk hunt exactly <laughs> exactly and instead yeah. he had to become a republican congressman who went on to zero block 30 this week and said oh that uh they were talking about eddie gallagher who is the navy seal that uh trump is reportedly thinking about pardoning despite the fact that he was convicted of stabbing an iraqi teenager to death uh, in and an array of other uh war crimes as well but because you know th these are troops they get to just get away with things i guess uh yeah the dunk hunter said i was an artillery officer and we fired hundreds of rounds into fallujah killed probably hundreds of civilians if not scores if not hundreds of civilians probably <laughs> killed women and children if there were any left in the city when we invaded so do i get judged too <laughs> what the fuck man I mean, yes. Yes, you absolutely do. Which, I mean, if you, the, their reaction was, you know, to all credit to them, I guess, because they were a little horrified by this, which, yeah, you probably should be. But also you're looking at their reaction as like, well, when you kill people abroad there's a specific way that you have to do it like the whole thing is <laughs> <Yeah. just> like, <laughs> like absolutely ridiculous anyway but god the fact that this is tied to barstool is still just the funniest thing on the timing of it could not have been better at a time <laughs> when, when the hockey world is you know a certain segment of it anyways freaking out about this partnership with the bruins and uh jeff portnoy is going on tucker tonight to be like oh, i don't know what god, the big deal yeah. is everybody's just upset about a towel uh, did you watch that video, by I, the way? I, I couldn't stomach I, it. No, I did not. I, I got through a little bit of it. And at the beginning, like Tucker Carlson pulls out the towel and he's like, or Dave pulls out the towel and Tucker Carlson's like, oh, yes, that misogynistic towel. Look at how how sexist that towel is. And it's like, dude, you're missing the point. Like the whole fucking point. Like it just drove past you. Like, yeah, the towel is sexist. Yeah, That's sorry. What everyone is saying. Sorry. Like <laughs> it, Dave Portnoy is the CEO of Barstool. Jeff Portnoy is Jack Black's character in Tropic Thunder. My mistake there. <laughs> Classic uh, slip up on my part. But yeah, yeah. just you know, what, do you, what can you even say if your first line of defense is to go on Tucker Carlson, which is like yeah. the white nationalism <laughs> hour on Fox every night. So Jesus, yeah, the whole thing's just a fucking mess. Uh, and hopefully, you know, hopefully that is the reason uh, that karmically the Bruins do not win the Stanley Cup. But, you know, um, if if life has taught me anything, it's that villains constantly get rewarded. So by the yeah. time we record next week, I'm sure I will be talking about a uh, Bruins fucking cup parade, unfortunately. City doesn't deserve it. <laughs>
<laughs> no one does. <laughs> uh, except, except of course, Joe Thornton. That is, that yes. is the one deserves yeah. exception. Uh, see, it's been great chatting with you. Um, yeah. I hope we were able to get to the bottom of uh, what became of the ECHL trophy. Uh, <laughs> and, and then uh, I can talk to you again once that mystery has been solved. Yeah, for sure. <laughs> Do you have anything you'd like to, to plug? Where can people find your stuff before you go? Oh, you can find me on Twitter at Now You See Me with C spelled like my name, S I E. Um, it's the off season, so I mean, I'm on Fear the Fin. I'm writing stuff occasionally, but uh, right now it's, it's pretty laid back. Um, I write about comics. Hopefully, I'll be doing that more for the off season. Sick. For, um, yeah, for Bam Smack Pow um, through Fan Sighted. And uh, yeah. Kind of all over the place. That's exciting. <laughs> okay, give me a comic book recommendation. What's uh, what's uh, what's good that you're reading right now? Oh, I actually am not reading any current series, so uh, I cannot recommend anything. I just picked up. But... I just picked up the uh, Warren Ellis 007 comic that he put out like Ooh. four years ago. So, uh, the, if there's a James Bond fan out there, I would recommend uh, Warren Ellis's run on James Bond 007. Certainly a good amount of fun. Nice. I'm mostly back reading a lot of X-Men right now, and uh, I, I, I'm i writing about adaptations more than I'm writing about the comics themselves. Interesting. But, yeah. On that note, isn't it weird that we are, like, days away from the last ever Fox X-Men movie? A, a, yeah. a franchise that has spanned close to two decades now, close to the entirety of Joe Thornton's career, <laughs> and there's, like, no hype at all for this movie. Yeah. None. I'm actually really mad because my local theater, which, by the way, had six showings on Thursday night for Avengers Endgame, uh, has exactly... Or actually, I think they had nine. They had nine showings because they had three in each theater. Um, has two showings of Dark Phoenix on its opening day. And one of them is in 3D, which I hate seeing movies in 3D. So, And that's the one I have to go to because <laughs> it's the only time that works. So, Well, yeah. there might be a reason for that lack of buzz. <laughs> it, it might be that Apocalypse was the worst movie in the series to date. And this one looks to be on about that level. Oh, yeah, it's going to be real bad. <laughs> oh. <laughs> well, uh, thank you for taking the time to talk to me about uh, the San Jose Sharks and so many other things. Anytime. <laughs> Russell, look out! There it is, folks. That's your real good for the week. I hope you enjoyed it. I certainly had a fun time talking with C. Always a pleasure to catch up with them. And uh, just a bang-up job that they do over there at Fear the Fin as well. So check that out. Uh, head on over to that blog for all of your san jose sharks news needs i know uh like c said it, it is the off season now there's not a ton of sharks conversations left to be had not a ton of things to write about as we head towards uh the summertime but you know that's what i'm doing over here i've run out of canucks topics to to run into the ground uh taking a look around the league at some other teams that interest me here on the show over the course of the next month as we head towards the draft and free agency, at which point there probably will be some more interesting things to talk about on the Vancouver front that do not involve blueberry farms anyways. Uh, if you liked the show this week and want to support it, I strongly encourage that you do because this show was produced 
by my Patreon donors, and you can become one by heading on over to patreon.com slash realgoodshow. Uh, give what you can to help support uh, the production of this program and make sure that it continues going forward. I, like I said last month, no, I have not been uh, the, the most reliable content creator over the course of the last several months, but, you know, um, feeling very inspired since the passing of uh, my dear friend Jason Botchford, and uh, feel like I uh, have put my own issues in perspective, and feel like I've got a voice that needs to, um, not necessarily needs to be heard. That's certainly presumptive of me, but but I need to use my voice. I need to uh, exercise my ability to uh, say the things that I want to say more so than I did before, uh, more so than I have over the past year, and. Uh, I owe it to Jason to do that. I owe it to myself. I owe it to you as well. And if you want to help support the program and uh, keep things happening on a week-to-week basis, I know it took a week off last week, but that's just because I literally ran out of room on uh, on the server. No, I ran out of storage for the month of May. That happens when you put out two shows that total uh, more than four and a half hours over the course of two weeks. So hope you enjoyed what I did last month. I have a feeling... You're going to enjoy what I do this month as well because the NHL draft right here in Vancouver going to bring some great guests into town, hoping to bang out multiple episodes over the course of the draft weekend and put those out uh, in late June and into the month of July. And who knows what we got coming up here next week as well. But yes, do support the show if you are so inclined. I am happy to uh, take whatever donations uh, you are able to make over at patreon.com slash real good show you are the true heroes who keep the lights on and i do mean that literally um yeah uh, other than that uh if you enjoyed the show tell people that you liked it tell people that it exists spread the word somehow or head on over to uh apple podcasts or stitcher or wherever you happen to get your podcasts and uh Throw us, uh, throw us an old uh, review there if you're so inclined. Maybe, maybe five stars. Maybe whatever you like. Maybe write something as well. That always gives us a little boost in the old iTunes algorithms. I appreciate it when you do that. Uh, it does not go unnoticed. So, uh, until next week, I have been Justin Morissette. Uh, I'll talk to you next week. Until then, be real, be good, be real good. September My God-given little became a little older I go by seeing my broken heart Hold on to your teardrops, you got a long way to go Did you get older doing nothing today? Don't you want to stop complaining? If one is easy, then hard is too no one knows where you're heading to Once my private collection overfitted on you No consolation prizes Spit out your lies and chew them Curve your head, that's it If you don't like that, I swear I'm not looking for I thought about this for long I never had the chance to try and make it better
Recommend Dude. it to like the military as like yeah, a, a government torture I process would, or whatever. Like fuck, like <laughs> is it torture? Like you, <laughs> fuck off.